In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week on the show, we are checking out the new frontier of the Sundance Film Festival with the help of Shari Frilo, the curator of the new frontier. Sundance kicks off on January 20th. That's less than a week away from when I'm recording this. And this year, it's going to be completely online. We'll uh, talk about the return of the spaceship and dial in on a few of the offerings from this year's collection. Uh, Sundance always kicks off uh, our immersive year, so uh, it's great to have Shari back. Also coming back to the show, our friend Kent Bai from the Voices of VR podcast. Uh, Kent has been busy very busy of late, uh, and is going to give us a little overview of some of the uh, some of the episodes he's been dropping on his show. Uh, this is a bit of a light week for us. Uh, we uh, don't have Catherine coming through with the headlines, and indeed, uh, just a little bit of a program note: we are uh, we're going to spend the next couple of months experimenting uh, now that uh, things are in a very weird space again for live work. Uh, so everyone knows uh, we're not going to be sending our review team out to review anything that is indoors for a while. We have a, uh, a clear line of uh, X number of weeks after the peak of the, um, of, of the surge. And here in California, the surge uh, hasn't broken yet. Uh, but we do know that there's a few places uh, in the country where the surge is breaking, and we're doing this on a regional uh, basis uh, when we when we uh, feel comfortable uh, sending folks out again. Um, and it's not just about the safety of our reviewers, uh, who remember are all volunteers and aren't getting paid to do any of this, uh, but also our, um, you know, where we want to be uh, kind of directing folks towards uh, the, the sort of subtle nods uh, <laughs> where we can nudge folks. Just maybe, maybe not the time, maybe not the time for, for doing in-person stuff. Uh, give it a bit. Um, it's going to be like this for a while. I might have some more to say about that on the back end. Um, anyway, so no headlines, but that means that we're that much closer to just getting this show started. So let's jump into that interview with Shari Freelo. Well, it is January, and here on the No Pro Podcast, that means we get lucky enough to talk with Shari Frilo, who is the curator of the New Frontier section of the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, Shari, it's good to talk with you. It's good to talk to you too, Noah. <laughs> um, we, we've been we're doing some version of this uh, for a long time now, actually, <laughs> uh, longer than I even want to think about. Um, last year, uh, when we, we talked... Uh, you all were testing out something for the first time. You had built a spaceship in VR and were beaming people up to it uh, as part of the social uh, setup. 
And I know this year the original plan was to go hybrid, and now everything's pivoted back to digital. So I, I, I wonder, I guess uh, back to the spaceship, huh? What's uh, what? What do you have cooking up there out in uh, the virtual outer space? Well, you know that spaceship was a, a bit of a revelation uh, last year when we did it for the first time. It just opened up so much opportunities. Uh, for our artists and for the section, New Frontier, for the field that we knew we were going to bring it back. And in fact, designed, I designed uh, the exhibition uh, this year to be uh, the full lineup uh, with full access is on the spaceship. And uh, when we thought we would bring it back to Park City to design touch points to the spaceship and the work uh, from our venue in Park City. Um, oops, sorry about that. Um, you know, I, I was really psyched to see people in person again. Um, that is a loss. Uh, but uh, the design has always been uh, to be on the spaceship because so many more people came. <laughs> Our yeah. biggest audience is on the spaceship and it's going to continue to be that. And you know, the thing about this, uh, the spaceship and that life, spaceship life, it's, it's VR and accessible on computer, is, um, you know, you're able to meet people that you would not have been able to meet in Park City. It's so exclusive to get there. It's hard to get there. It's expensive. The spaceship really just opened up access. And um, being in an immersive environment, whether you're experiencing it on your computer or in VR, is really indelible. You know, I, it, I, I found that when we, when we unveiled the new version of the spaceship to our staff, everybody was just taken aback with memories and the sense of nostalgia. And that really made me think we, we have something here. This is a place. This is not just an online platform. This is a, this is a, a place, a gathering place that, that is sacred, that has become sacred to us. And I do and like that you're, I do like that you've brought back specifically the spaceship, right? Like, cause then it starts to feel like it's, you know, the 13th venue or something like that. Right. You know, it's like, it's, it's, there's all the physical venues of, I don't know how many venues are at Sundance. I just said 13th to be, to be random, but um, that sense of like, Oh, here are all the physical venues at Sundance. And then the, the final venue is the spaceship. Yes. I mean, um, the spaceship is definitely embraced in that way this year. You know, no one really knew when, you know, we, we started to work with Active Theory last year. No one really could have foreseen how successful that was going to be. Uh, the Institute, everybody there has, has really just um, found incredible support and really uh, investing, doubling down on spaceship life. And especially now, uh, now that we've had to pivot um, you know, a lot of the events that were going to be on the ground in Park City are now on the spaceship. Uh, it uh, it really has become a part of who we are, and you know, it, it doesn't replace in person. In person is is it's so special, it's so human, it's it's who we you know, it's irreplaceable. Uh, but what we found last year on the spaceship is life on the spaceship is also really special for different reasons, and we're actually showing a film. Uh, in the lineup of a competition called We Met in Virtual Reality by Joe Cummings. And um, this film really captures what it means to find a new kind of life, a new fabric of way of being in uh, 
in these a socially immersive environment. That one's about uh, some communities, people falling in love, people mourning their relatives, all in VR chat. Uh, and just that magical quality of things that you will never forget that make that indelible mark on your heart and in your mind, being inside of an immersive social environment is really, it's, it's unshakable and it's just a brand new terrain of being human. I also wonder what has the hybrid or, or the virtual side of this done in terms of opening up this work to audiences who, like you mentioned before, can't get out to Park City because it's expensive. And I know that the Institute's done a lot in, in the past decade about having there be satellite events and having there be events over the course of the year. But so much has shifted in, the, I think, in the past two years mm. when it comes to just the raw accessibility of this work uh, to to folks. And, and on the immersive side, yes, we're losing some of the installations that happen, which are always a great joy. But yeah, I'm just uh, let me bat it back to you. Like, how, do you feel this is fundamentally shifted, even? Like who's approaching this work at this point? Yeah, I think you know th- uh, something like this. You know these these virtual environments that we're able to build exhibition. It is definitely expanding the world. You know, I think LBEs are so cool. You know, you get to be with people. You get to be in these environments that you walk around. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a very distinct experience. Something like you know the spaceship or VR chat, um, this it's it, it expands the terrain where you can walk around in a virtual environment. Um, I don't think it you know it, it doesn't replace one or the other, <clears throat> but certainly you know that combined with the just the number of people that have headsets right now and that's growing. Um, it, it, it does open up a whole new world, a new vista, a new opportunity for artists who are making work, uh, you know, in VR uh, to be able to reach their audiences in different ways. Yeah, the, the, the sheer number of headsets that got purchased over the holiday season uh, is probably going to, it's going to be very interesting to see if all of those folks just slide into the gaming mode or if they get more adventurous when it comes to you know, narrative and documentary content. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we've got this spaceship that people can come over and see some really crazy things, stuff that they can find on the Oculus store and other things that are just completely independent. And uh, So let's talk about a few of those. Um, the, I know the ones that caught, I picked three out that caught my eye from, from this upcoming lineup. Um, and, and the first one, I hope you could tell me about, a little bit more of is uh, Gondwana, uh, yeah. which is out of Australia, which mm-hmm. is, it says it's a 24 hour durational VR piece. So yeah, how does so, that work? What's Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. That's a good question. When you see 24 hours, it's uh, it can be intimidating, but it's not. It's a, what this is, it's a 24 hour simulation. It is a, um, so it's a simulation of the Daintree, which is a tropical rainforest in Australia. And it's a simulation that's dynamic. It is generative. It's a generative simulation that is powered by dynamic climate data. It is also reacts to the number of people inside of the environment and what you do inside of the environment. 
So this 24-hour simulation, it's different every 24 hours, depending on all these, uh, you know, different um, uh, forces that are inside of, uh, you know, people and the 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 the, the data um, sets. So the experience of Gondwana, you can go in and at you know, two o'clock in the afternoon and then come back in at 6 p.m. to see where the environment is going. And or you can stay in it for the whole time, you know, if you can. But you might be able to, because honestly, no, the first time I went into this experience, I I, I just lost a whole hour out of my life. Oh, wow. Um, and because I went into this rainforest, it was so beautiful. It was so calm. How could, big is it? I could spend... I could spend hours in this. Oh, wow. um, it's a, you know, it's, it walking around it, uh, you know, you're kind of like on the, on, in a, in a canyon of, of that, that empties out into the sea. Mm. Um, but what you really are feeling are you're seeing time pass, you know, uh, because 24 hours, you, you um, I can't remember now what uh, you, you see time. Every, say this, every 12 minutes, you, you see like a year pass. And so you're seeing time pass. You're also seeing parts of the forest bleach and disappear. Oh, wow. And, and so you're kind of, and you're in this beautiful environment and you're feeling the loss of the biodiversity of the Daintree in this really experiential way. So it's, um, it's also... It's 24 hours long, but it's not real time. It's accelerated time, like like a time That's lapse. Right. That's right. It's time lapse. Yeah, there are moments where you're you're in, uh, you know, a stillness. There's rain that comes. You know, rain. Uh, the night comes. The day comes. But uh, then there's a time lapse moment that lurches you into the uh, future, where you can, you know, you're in a different situation. Sometimes you'll see a crocodile. Um, um, sometimes. You know, you'll see other people, uh, but uh, there is a, it's, it, it does a really good job with mixing the stillness of presence and um, how time is um, affecting the Daintree and the environment there. That's fascinating. I mean, it... And, you know, I, I would encourage people to attend the Artist Spotlight uh, uh, for that one. In fact, all of them. We, it's one of the new things that we're we brought to uh, the spaceship this year. This year, you can meet the artists um, in the artist spotlights. These are dedicated sessions in the cinema house where the artists will be presenting um, their work in the background. Uh, you can learn more about the projects, where they came from, how they made it, and the artists will be there uh, you know, um, to be able to mingle with their audiences. You can talk to them and meet them yourself. That... I'm still kind of like tripping over this idea of, and tripping in a good way, of mm-hmm. of the alteration of of time, like the 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 kind of speeding up and slowing it down. Which time is such an important thing in the cinematic art, and it's when you find a film that plays with time in in a smart way, it's often so exhilarating, mm. and that's something that. I feel like we've seen some, like there, there was a piece running around last year um, 
Monte Gelato, which was this uh, 360 oh, yeah. video piece um, about the about those falls in, in in Rome, and it used all this video footage to create like a video collage, and it wound up being like this kind of this time travel kind of experience in a real way because you were getting all these different layers of it. That was one way of playing with time and space, but but this idea of like slowing it down and snapping it forward, I don't know. There's there's something to that. Like I, I I love that we're still in this point in these mediums where the grammar is still being figured out, and, and artists still have space to play in a in a in a with kind of big swings when it comes to this work. Yeah. It- you know, to uh, um, there have been a couple of stabs at you know taking using fi- finding a way to engage with this scaling time in VR uh, to it to explore in different ways like you know um, uh, what is that piece called the Seeing Eye uh, where the um, creator made a choice to be in VR. Uh, durationally, uh, mm. so that they they can see out of somebody else who's out with their family and living their life. Um, that was an interesting uh, durational kind of performance, inhabited performance. Um, this this one here, you know, what's so exciting to know is just how much better artists are engaging with the technology in terms of rendering imagery. This just the technology's gotten better and the artists are having more mastery around it. Uh, and Gondwana really just feels so, um, it feels, I'm not going to say real, but it feels familiar. Mm. It feels like in a, a beach that you've been to before. And so you don't feel like you're in this animated environment feel like it felt when you last went to a Caribbean island and you saw the sunset and you saw the sunrise. Um, just the language that artists are really starting to develop and how to use uh, these tools to connect with not necessarily like complete fidelity of, of um, you know, what, what a beach looks like to the sand, but it's really what a beach feels like. Mm. You know, and they're getting really good at this type of stuff. And it's just so exciting because um, that's uh, it's, it's artists listening to um, paying attention to the the relationship a body has with the environment as opposed to capturing like the exactness of the environment. And that's um, I think that's a pretty significant development that I've been seeing in the works this year. That's very exciting. I, I, I almost want to like drill in there, but there's a, there's a couple other pieces I want to kind of uh, ask you about. Um, so the next one on my list is seven grams, which mm. is about, uh, I'll, I'll read the synopsis part of the synopsis here that uh, brings the democratic Republic of Congo's tragic mining industry straight to the smartphone that its mineral resources helped make via an app. So this is a, this is a documentary piece about how smartphones are, are, are the, the, the social, global cost of smartphone manufacturing that's being told on a smartphone. So I wonder if you could like break that one down a little bit for everybody. Cause I find this sort of thing fascinating from a structural point of view, but Mm -hmm. also I remember one of my favorite and and very moving pieces last year was told 
uh, in part using uh, smartphones. Um, oh my God, the name's escaping me. It's it's the one about um, shopping malls in Tehran. I think that's actually might be the oh yeah, rich kids, rich kids, yeah, rich kids, yeah, yeah rich kids. Uh-huh. Are turn on. And, and and the smartphone plays such a key part of of that. And mm-hmm. I mean, these objects are sadly the center of our lives, and yet they so rarely produce anything like true insight or wonder. So I'm always curious when mm-hmm. someone's using it as a medium. Yeah. Oh, you're going to dig this one then. Um, I mean, it's 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 not only smart, uh, it's important. So, you know, Kareem Ben Khalifa is a, a war photographer, journalist, uh, and this piece that he's made, he uses the smartphone, uh, he basically tosses through a QR code an app, an AR, augmented reality app, onto your smartphone that then tells you what your smartphone is made of. Mm. So, uh, you know, you're, you're in your living room with this app and you, you open the app and you see your smartphone open up and you can see, so he can show you the rare earth uh, and the rare materials that are inside of your smartphone. So you actually learn how your smartphone works and much less than what it looks like inside. But then he takes it a step further. He, um, he you know, he then traces, well, where do these materials, where do these minerals, these, these raw materials come from? And um, they come from, uh, in this piece, he, t- he, tra- he tracks it back to the Democratic Republic of Congo, the DRC, uh, where, and, and, the, and the human cost of, you know, the fact that you have the cell phone in your hand, these materials have a human cost in the lives of people, young people in the DRC that, um, you know, have been taken from their families, uh, become child soldiers who are then become minors. And all of those minerals that are coming out of this very rich earth in in the Congo, um, you know, are basically being stolen (laughs) Mm. and, uh, you know, end up in our phones uh, at a great profit to the companies that are, you know, doing business with these, um, with uh, these operations. And uh, what this this experience uh, shows you, you know, these minerals in your phone, where it comes from, the Congo, what the situation is there, and then it then it shows you the life of one of these children as a film. So this is a really interesting experience that he's created, which is an AR that lets you really experience a, the, the, this story in a volumetric way. And then it just kind of comes down to a film so that you can see this kid uh, It's an, a beautiful animation and the life of this kid and the, and how this kid is uh, a part of the circuitry of your phone that you have in your hand. It's an incredibly powerful piece. Not, not to get into, weird to call it a spoiler territory, but is there any kind of call to action at the end of it? Like, I, it, it's so, it, it's important, it, it, it's on its face clearly important that we know that this stuff is going on and that we start to sort of build up the muscle memory that all this stuff that just seems magical and wonderful and ooh, new shiny has these externalities 
and that the true costs of these the, this cheap progress is pushed off to other parts of uh, out of sight and out of mind. But I also wonder if there's yeah is there some kind of CTA here to to kind of connect to the next step on that one? Yes, there is a call to action, and and also the the um, the you know Kareem uh, he is his mission is for this thing to be downloaded for free to be widely accessible, uh, and he's really wanting people to uh, find getting this easy so that you know the call to action is effective, um, mm. and it, it happens at the end of of, of the piece of the experience. It's kind of an it's it's an odd question to ask on some level, but like I'm 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 glad to know because sometimes I worry that, you know. It's almost like there was that era when raising awareness of things was enough, and I, and we're so far past that at this point. So it's it's always good to know that yes, there's yeah there's there's something on on the back end. You know that this artist is very compelled um, to reach out to young audiences who. Uh, are going to be tuned in, you know, uh, to their phones in a way, uh, and uh, are 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 versed in taking action through their phones as well. Mm. So, um, you know, again, his artist spotlight uh, in, in the cinema house. Uh, you can find all this information, you know, in the the project murals in the gallery. Um, you really get you have a chance to hear his approach. Um, to um, uh, you know, making making this work and and this kind of his approach to activism uh, in today's landscape, using the phone and 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 really acknowledging the younger generation and how many more of they are of uh, you know younger people there are on the planet than those who are actually in in positions of leadership in governments and and companies. Now going to pivot to something entirely different and probably on what's probably a lighter note. Uh, the other one I have real questions about is uh, the inside world, which I'm seeing here uh, something about community-driven mystery and that there's gameplay, somehow NFTs are involved. Mm-hmm. What is this thing? <laughs> this, I'm just, I'm just, this, is, this entire segment is just like, oh, Shari, what is this thing? <laughs> You know, just imagine like walking around like a series of dishes. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, it this this piece. It, this is Jennifer and Kevin McCoy. We, um, in fact, they were the very first artists that I brought to New Frontier, even before it was New Frontier. Oh wow! Back in two thousand six. Yeah, they uh, I, I installed their piece called "Our Second Date." Uh, they're you know blue chip artists in the art world. Um, Kevin McCoy also happens to be the person who created the digital art NFT. Um, he minted the very first one. And, oh. and so he's, he uh, is a part of all of this. In fact, he just sold that thing for, you know, a lot of money. Um, but, you know, these are, these are real artists and they are interested and not just, um, you know, this as an NFT as a, uh, uh, you know, killer app, the killer app that it has, it has become, but they're interested in taking it on in an artistic way. So the inside world is a, it's a story world. 
um, it's a story world that's going to, that's interactive. It's, it's a crowdsourced story world. So this is how it works. In the story world, the setting is that it's Las Vegas. There are 14 managers that control all of Las Vegas, and they are AI. These are artificial intelligent managers. Um, they control, except it has been found out and rumored that one of these managers are human. So this is the setting for the story. Uh, as a user, as somebody who wants to be a part of this, um, you acquire an NFT um, that uh, there are about 8,000 of them that are going to be minted. And that NFT will uh, unlock a uh, Discord channel for you to work with their writer to spin the story into existence. Now, uh, this is a big project that's launching out of the festival. So at the festival, uh, there are going to be a couple of, of free events that you can go in and start uh, working and uh, uh, being a part of this interactive storytelling. It's essentially a crowdsourced story. Uh, you can also, they're also going to be um, uh, holding a couple of giveaways for at the NFT. So you can register um, for uh, for one of these free NFTs. I, of course, you can also buy one too. Right. But what's so great about this project is, uh, you know, the, the value of having, uh, collecting this NFT is the value of being a part of this creative community that through the creative practice of working together, crowdsourcing, writing, being a part of, you know, this interactive story creation you then also magnify the value of your collectible and also just become a part of something really fun um, to spin. And it's, um, that rolls out over the course of, of time. Uh, uh, and, and you don't know where the story is going to go, but if you are a part of this community, you're, you are one of the authors and uh, you're a part of uh, you know, the smart contracts that, are, that, that govern it and the, and the blockchain there's there's so much debate in the culture as a whole and definitely the art world about the role of you know blockchain in the culture and nfts i think and i, and I remain someone who's i won't say necessarily very on the fence but uh i i'm i am i am very cautious and and i worry a lot particularly being like someone who comes uh, with a lot of gaming in my background, I see the game companies racing into this space mm-hmm. and being just very excited about how to financialize it all. But yeah. I will admit that the things that are very interesting to me from like a technology and technology and culture standpoint are these projects where it's not just that this NFT is a collectible or even because you can look at something like, you know, the Board 8 Yacht Club, Basie. And and what's it, Yuma Labs? I can't remember the name. I think that's right. Like what they're doing with that, it, it's it's a membership in in a community is what it really is that happens to have this mm-hmm. uh, represent representative token in it. Um, and this sounds like something similar in that it's not so much that you know the focus is on collecting that NFT. I mean, there's some people that just want all of them that they can get their hands on, like their Pokemon, but it is about that's your key to being part of that community 
and if you want to participate in it. And that's like, like this, these things as tools of focus or tools of, of being able to kind of draw a a circle around something. Mm -hmm. Um, That's interesting. Like that, that doesn't feel, that feels like it's, it's part of like the natural impulse of, of humanity to like use tools to focus attention. Yeah. And, you know, reorganize, um, you know, your, the relationship between artists and the, I, the, their intellectual property, you know, their, their IP and being able to have a more direct relationship to how that IP, um, you know, finds its marketplace, finds its audience, finds, it's also, you know, a way to be more equitable and more, um, you know, uh, collective in, in how the economy of, you know, uh, the, how the economy rolls out for your IP, uh, as opposed to, you know, cutting a contract with a centralized organization who have, you know, lawyers that are, you know, really working toward their interests here, it's peer to peer and, uh, and it's automatic and, uh, these organizations, I mean, I, I, I wonder if the DAOs are the new unions, you know, unions have, um, done a lot of great things for artists. Uh, you know, certainly they've run away in, in you know, in Chicago <laughs> in the early days have, have done some like questionable things as well. But I think, you know, unions right now, unions are being busted and being inhibited, uh, to really, you know, fight and be there for the workers' rights, um, you know, DAOs well, and, uh, you know, th- the way that the economy is organized uh, around the blockchain in these collective ways can really uh, step up to that uh, responsibility to, for, uh, of, of, of artists and of workers, of people um, who, who are doing, uh, you know, business on the blockchain and how it could be more equitable there's there's something we are in a moment that's interesting when it comes to the the resurgence of labor right so like we i think we see a labor resurgence at the moment we see that you there are starbucks that are organizing right now that amazon warehouse that lost its election it, it's getting a do-over because amazon was found to be using mm-hmm. using union busting practices but yeah like the DAOs, uh which are uh for everyone who doesn't know i believe it's distributed or decentralized uh, anonymous organizations, I think, <laughs> right? I don't have it in front of me. Uh, so the DAOs, from a certain point of view, particularly when they have uh, coins associated with them, uh, start to look a little bit like the way a, a guild might. Like guild money was a thing way back when, right? Like in the, in, in the, the, the mercantile era. So... All these experiments are are. It's interesting to see sort of the the creativity unleashed. I still have a lot of questions when it comes to the environmental impact on some of this stuff, uh, and also just some of the limitations of the technology. But this idea of new ways to organize collective action online and and to sort of you know automate that a little bit, but also like take some of the logistical parts of that off of humans and put it onto machines, which is what machines are good at. Mm-hmm. Some of these things are very much like, oh yeah, that's going to be nice. That's going to be nice if we can get the machines to help us with the that part of it, and you know, yeah. let us be more human. Uh, 
you know, it's it's, it's important, and we we um, we actually uh, will be um, hosting some NFT meetups. I think it's really important to talk about this and bring you know, human values to the conversation. And uh, so we're going to hold some meetups on the spaceship in Cinema House. And as a provocation, we're featuring a conversation between Amelia Winger's Bearskin and Jesse Damiani. Hmm. And they really just kind of kick off this whole conversation of, you know, the value of blockchain and NFTs in a way that is really focusing on these values that you're talking about, you know, like, uh, um, you know, well, environmental uh, collectivity, um, you know, what's hype and what's not uh, to kind of get our community who are interested, who want to learn, but also who are, who, are, who are versed and want to be a part of developing a new kind of internet that's more uh, accountable uh, to those who use it. Um, uh, you know, how, what, what, what is, what is the social engineering of that? You know, what is the civil engineering? How do you civil, civil engineer web 3.0? These are, that's the tone of these meetups that are going to happen in the spaceship. All right. Well, definitely want to, I definitely want to check that one out. I want to see, I want to see that particularly if it's going to be a bit of a throwdown. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're fun to watch, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, on that note, sounds like we've got another exciting year on the spaceship uh, ahead of us, or a week on the spaceship this year, I should say. Shari, thank you so much for dropping by the show this week. I really appreciate you, Noah. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for your support. And thanks for no pro. You're a jewel. <laughs> <laughs> we try. <laughs> Here we are once again with Kent By, our friend from the Voices of VR podcast. Kent has been incredibly busy of late, uh, and uh, we're going to talk to him about a few of the things that he's been up to. Hi, Kent. Happy 2022. Hey, Noah. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Uh, first, first, uh, first show of the new year for us too. So uh, it's always always fun to have have you in uh, these little milestone episodes for us. You dropped a series recently. Uh, focusing on 15 years of the IDFA Doc Lab, and I wonder if you could just like tell everybody what what that's all about because you just you, you dropped like what 12 episodes, 15 episodes, a lot of episodes. Yeah, it was a is a dozen episodes. A dozen. So, okay. uh, so the IDFA Doc Lab is International Documentary Film Festival of Amsterdam. They have a special section called the Doc Lab, started by Casper Sonnen in 2007, and so. This was an area for interactive and immersive work to be able to really experiment. And looking at the history of new communication media, often it's documentary that ends up being one of the first forms that starts to prototype what's possible in new media. And so the IVA Doc Lab's really been this really interesting place of innovation. And they've been not only doing commissions and supporting artists, but also just kind of creating a community for work that, you know, creates a deadline, allow this uh, group of people who are bias towards documentary filmmaking to be able to experiment with immersive and interactive media. So it was a series that the just in collaboration with a lot of the folks there at Doc Lab who helped set me up with a number of the different artists over the last 15 years who have 
had a series of different pieces of work that they've had there. And so they're kind of short bite-sized episodes, 20 to 25 to 40 minutes or so, uh, and kind of looking at the evolution of immersive and interactive documentary. Do you feel like there's kind of been a real progression of how this field has evolved in, in the 15 years this has been going on? Well, first it started with a lot of web-based material and then eventually podcasts. So, you know, IFA brought out Ira Glass as an example and like, you know, 2008 or 2009 from This American Life. And they did like a live recording of This American Life. And so they're, they're constantly kind of bringing in people from areas where you wouldn't expect it to be documentary. Like Ira Glass is like, I'm not a documentary filmmaker. Uh, but even like some of the work that I saw in 2018 by Anagram is called The Collider which ended up at Tribeca. And it, it's an amazing film. It's amazing immersive experience where you go in there and one person's in VR, another person's not, and you're kind of guided through this audio, um, you know, kind of interactions. And they kind of create this psychodrama in a way that, you know, it's nothing like I would imagine what a typical documentary would be, but it's a reflection of what our lives are and kind of reflecting these deeper archetypal dynamics and exploring what the potentials are of interaction and what's it mean to have an interactive media to create these realms of potential to be able to, you know, put these, uh, the audience member in the middle of it and to be able to explore these different issues. So that was what I, I found so fascinating was that it's really expanded my own mind of what documentary means. And just to do a series of different conversations with a wide range of different artists across different media and each of their takes, I think, is a really good slice of um, kind of the underlying character of what this immersive and interactive media are all about. Speaking of uh, expanding minds, the interview you dropped earlier this week uh, is one I know you're very, very excited about. Um, and um, I'll, just, I'll just let you run with it. I don't even, I don't even want to take the, any of more of the setup than that. So what did you drop for us this week? Well, so David Chalmers is one of the most, you know, famous philosophers in the world. He wrote The Conscious Mind, which he coined this whole hard problem of consciousness. And he's a really amazing just uh, communicator and academic, and he's uh, really leading different fields. And so he's been looking at virtual reality for a number of years, like going all the way back to like 2003. He was invited by the Matrix website to walk to basically write a philosophical reflection about what the matrix films and the, the kind of the series of films at that point represented. And so he wrote this paper called the matrix or the, um, the metaphysics, the metaphysics of the matrix. And from that, he started to do a lot of just public uh, discussions about virtual reality. What's it mean? And he soon re- realized that VR, it kind of contains all these really interesting aspects of like, what is the nature of reality? What's is what's the nature of knowledge? Are we in a simulation or not? And so he wrote this book called uh, Reality Plus. Um, it's the virtual worlds and the problems of philosophy. So it's essentially like an introductory course to philosophy, but told through the lens of virtual reality and these series of different thought experiments and problems in philosophy going all the way back to Descartes in 1641. But it's such a rigorous book that is kind of contextualizing virtual reality within the academic tradition. I think why, why it's so important is that a lot of people think about VR as illusionary, like it's fake, it's not real. And what he's arguing is that you know VR is just as real as you know a physical reality. And a lot of times, depending on the context of the experience, you can have just as meaningful experiences that these objects that you're interacting with feel real, and that you have these meaningful events um, that. Feel, you know, on the same scale of the same type of 
uh, immersive, interactive, and body types of experiences that you have in physical reality. So he's saying that virtual reality is a genuine rea reality. And then he's also making these other arguments around there's no way that we can not that we can, there's no way to prove for sure that we're not in the matrix, essentially, that we're not in a computer simulation. And so, you know, he gives it around a 25% chance that we may already be in a simulation. And if that's true, that we're in a perfect simulation, then what's that mean for simulating other minds? Does that mean we can create AI that's conscious? So it's a book that, that you know, as you read it, it really challenges, challenges your own concepts of what reality is. And um, yeah, just because Chalmers is such a key figure in the larger philosophical field, he's kind of opening up these larger discourses and kind of taking these classic problems of like Descartes, you know, problem of the global skepticism saying that we don't know if the external world exists. Um, and because we don't know if it exists, then we don't, we can't say anything about any knowledge about the external world. The analogous thing today is we don't know if we live in the matrix. And so therefore everything is fake and not real. That's sort of the conclusion that you draw from that kind of Cartesian skepticism. And he's trying to counter that by saying, well, we may be already in a matrix, and if we are, then our experience of what we experience in this sort of simulated reality is real, according to this context that we're in. Mm. So we just should also generally say that all these immersive and virtual reality experiences are just as real as physical reality. Okay, and there's something kind of fundamental to the idea of, you know, what we do matters almost like regardless of the context that it's happening in, right? Like how well, we're I, how we're treating you know the other sources of agency in in our in the world, whatever whatever level of reality that world's operating at, like the, the point of a meaningful experience, like no matter which way it's coming in, like still what you do still matters. What you what you do has meaning. Yeah, and the caveats that I would put on that from the way that I think about it is that there's going to be limits in terms of the types of embodied experiences you can have with say haptics or touch or smell taste, you know, there's ways in which that the physical experience is still going to be far superior. So I don't think it's a matter of saying just it's a blanket statement that all virtual experiences are just as, you know, rich or, or yeah. meaningful, but it, there are going to be some, you know, he makes the differentiation between virtual inclusive and virtual exclusive. So the virtual inclusive types of experiences would be hanging out with your friends is just as meaningful or feels just the same as if you're hanging out with them in real life. And so when you talk about hanging out with your friends in VR, it's just you're hanging out with your friends. You don't have to like put a caveat that you're hanging out with your friends in this virtual context, mm. meaning that it's sort of somehow diminishing your hanging out with your friends. And so, but there are going to be things that are virtual exclusive, meaning that there are, you know, I, I pet a cat within my a virtual cat, you know, that's going to be a lot different than petting an actual cat or to, you know, eat something, you know, there's certain things you do in rec room where you're eating these consumables, but you're not actually eating a pizza or drinking champagne. So it's different than the visceral experience of, of having the direct embodied experience of that. So I think part of what he tries to do is set out these differentiations between, you know, how to think about this. But generally he's saying that this kind of Cartesian skepticism around like, you know, even the language around say the virtual body ownership illusion or the place illusion or the plausibility illusion. There's all these this language around illusion that stems back to Descartes saying that there's this evil demon that's tricking you and that because he's tricking you, then it's all fake and not real. And that gets uh, kind of carried through with the language that we use in VR, that it's illusionary when actually it's just as real as this sort of, um, you know, these other experiences that we have. So he's just, you know, suggesting we, we have these slight shifts in our language and saying it's the, the sense of presence or the sense of these 
you know, formerly these illusions. So the sense of place, the sense of plausibility and the sense of a virtual body, rather than to kind of use this illusionary language that in some ways creates this false bifurcation between what's virtual and then what's real rather than, you know, what I think part of what he's coming forth and saying, there should be the differentiation between the physical and the virtual and that it's all reality. It's all general, general, uh, genuine reality rather than, you know, having things that are less than reality. Right. I guess I was just tuning into the side of it that deals with simulation theory and you just this kind of this attitude in the world as a whole right now that, well, if it isn't real anyway, then like just whatever. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot of kind of a, a nihilistic bent out there at the moment. Uh, but if, if you accept the idea that even if it's a simulated reality, it's the moments of meaning that happen that make it matter so that even a virtual reality experience matters, then you can you can level that up to a simulated reality experience. And so you're you're not off the hook for sociopathy if uh, <laughs> if you're if that if you thought you were gonna get away with uh being a sociopath um just because we we're living in a simulation, uh sorry, bad news. Philosophy says no. So yeah. that's sort of the lesson I'm taking from it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least from the, right. from the from from the boil yeah. down. Um yeah, one more thing. Uh, and this episode, uh, well, we haven't recorded it yet, so hopefully I'm not jinxing myself. But uh, we're focusing on Sundance on this episode. Uh, and I know that you've had a chance to uh, talk with Shari over at the New Frontier. And I know you're going to be uh, headed in soon, uh, virtually, as as everyone is virtually to Sundance this year again. Um, what's... Um, what are you looking forward to or, or or sort of how are you how are you approaching this right and this sort of also kind of vibes a bit with you know the the idfa coverage you've done over the years right so here here we are it's festival season again uh what what angle are you coming in on well i at all these different ex- uh, festivals since like 2016 i've tried to you know make a habit of attending them and trying to see as much as i can and it's continued out through the kind of virtual season where it's a lot more accessible. So if you're at home and you have a computer, you're going to have access to all 15 experiences of the new, new frontier, which means that, you know, it's $50 and you can get access from like January 20th to 30th. Um, so with that, I think there's an opportunity to check out everything. And uh, also, you know, I guess it's been a challenge to try to cover this stuff because you know, these are very important events, you know, these experiences are somehow innovating and pushing forward what's even possible with the medium. And so I've been trying to at least see things and then ideally also talk to the artists and then also ideally get that out in a timely fashion so that other people who also see those experiences can also listen to a conversation. Uh, But I think that's, that's difficult to kind of do that in the context where, you know, you as what you're covering with a lot of these theatrical performances, you know, very well that, Sometimes these are very ephemeral events and either you see it or you don't. And so a lot of things I think about is I want to see the experience, but also try to extract what I'm taking away from it, just in case that no one else in the world ever gets to see this thing, because, you know, there may be a handful of people that get to see it during this one small context. And so to try to capture that through the process of having conversations with the creators and then for there, start to document these in that way. And then to, to make sure that there's not a long time between when the event happens and getting out so that people who did see it can see it immediately and then have this kind of distributed way of, of both watching these pieces, but also critically analyzing and deconstructing and just listening to the insights that you may be able to glean from it, whether you you saw it or not. 
So that's that's how I sort of think about it. And that's the ideal. And I think it's the struggle is, you know, seeing all this stuff and then getting it out in a timely fashion. And the longer that you wait to record something and release it, it almost becomes exponentially more difficult to release it as you go on. So you sort of, for me, at least I have like these hundreds of podcasts in my backlog that didn't get out uh, right away. And so, yeah, just trying to figure out how to see everything, talk to as many artists as I can, and then get it out for the community to be able to start to listen to that. And then, you know, try to ideally capture an, some, some of the essence of what was new or what was learned from this experience. Well, and traditionally with the festival circuit, things have been so, I don't know, like at a distance for folks who aren't physically at Sundance or in Amsterdam or in Venice. And the past couple of years, the shift, and this is true on the film side as well, the shift has been because of the the hybrid nature of the events, more people are accessing this stuff than ever. Um, and I wonder, has that altered the way you see what the coverage is? Um, because I know, you know, there is that whole sort of like, well, if we don't get it out during the event, then, you know, we're not in the conversation bubble that is been happening here at the event. But that conversation bubble and the, the bubble of the festival circuit, you know, sort of a persistent bubble uh, in a real way. And so few things often broke out of the bubble. But the one good thing, the, the one silver lining in the endless hurricane that is the pandemic is that so many more people have been able to tap into these experiences because of the remote nature of it all. And I wonder, I wonder if you feel like that changes the dynamic or if there's been any, if you've seen any of the, the sort of attitudes of the artists or the other people on the circuit change because of how things are more accessible. You know, the, the challenging thing about really understanding how things are different is that, you know, you're contrasting against when I would go to these different festivals and then everyone would just be there and there'd be like a zeitgeist of the discussion that would happen. And so you'd get kind of the conference buzz. And I think recreating that feeling of the buzz is extremely difficult. Although I think this year, I think they're going to try to have some artist talks as well as maybe just have more commitment for people hanging out within the virtual spaces that they have. I think the a thing that I often see within virtual conferences is that they'll really think about the, you know, the talk as the main event, but really those hallway conversation is kind of the magic that happens organically. If you actually have people who are committed to being there and committed their time and energy and attention to just being open and available for discussions. And I think that, you know, making people open available for that kind of communal shared ritualistic experience, I think is probably, you know, one of the things I haven't really seen recreated in the same level as the, this gathering face-to-face. So this distributed fashion, it is happening, but, you know, I would love to see if there's going to be more either Twitter spaces or, you know, clubhouse rooms, or if there's going to be folks actually meeting up within these virtual spaces, but to kind of recreate that zeitgeist feeling. Um, I haven't seen a great job of anybody that's really been able to, to pull it off, maybe aside from like Burning Man, that's able to recreate that feeling of what it's like to kind of like run into people and yeah. have an event that is more based upon creating a virtual space that's really tuned towards that. But other than that, I think it's been really difficult. So I don't know. We'll see how the community shows up into these virtual spaces. And I guess that's an invitation for if you want that, then either you set a time for that to happen and you show up or 
uh, it's more of the Priya Parker art of the gathering where you have to figure out how to give those invitations out for people to show up and to have this shared context of what you want to get out of that type of, you know, gathering. So that's, that's at least how I start to think about it. I think it's an open problem that we haven't really solved yet. And there's still a lot of room for us to, as a community, figure out what's, what's the best way to start to gather in these virtual events and to, to make it a little bit more of an event. All right. Well, Kent, as always, uh, you're right in the heart of all of it and looking forward to seeing what, uh, what your reactions out of Sundance are this year. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Noah. Once again, I want to thank Shari Freelo of Sundance and Kent Bai of the Voices of VR for being our guests on the show this week. Um, that's it. That's that's the episode. Uh, as I mentioned, we're not sending one out to any in-person reviews for a minute. I'm taking the moment to just start experimenting uh, with things again. Uh, we're going to be tweaking the newsletter uh, because we're not sending everyone out uh, in the regions. We're collapsing back down to one newsletter. Uh, and indeed, we might keep that format going forward. Uh, there's uh, there's a few things we want to kind of, <laughs> like I mentioned in that conversation uh, with Shari, there's some things that the machines are very good at, and there are other things that need a human touch. And I think the newsletter is one of those things can use more of a human touch as opposed to just me copying and pasting things all the time. So uh, gonna going to be tweaking the format. It won't be settled down quite yet um, for, for yeah, we'll, we'll give it like a couple of months. For those of you who are wondering um, about what are we going to do when it comes to, uh, you know, doing events again, uh, particularly those who held uh, tickets to uh, the next stage, uh, all of those have been refunded in full at this point. Uh, you should have, uh, that should be in your bank account uh, by this point. Um, obviously, uh, making any kind of plans for in-person gathering at the moment, uh, just Anything, any, any plans we might make uh, are subject to just get absolutely trashed. We've done this twice now, and uh, I, I'm not lying uh, if I say it's taken a lot. Uh, it's, it's left a big hole uh, in the center of my being. So um, I, I'm, I'm not, on the one hand, I am super eager to see everybody. On the other hand, uh, I'm not eager to do all of the, the heavy lifting work that goes into setting up an entire event and then having to snatch it away at the last second again, having done it twice, no third times in a charm that said, we'll be doing some online stuff. Uh, don't be surprised if there's something late March, early April, uh, around the time of when we did spring fling before, uh, pretty much that, that's almost certainly going to happen. Uh, what it's going to be exactly haven't sorted out yet, but I've got a, I've got a few ideas. Uh, so that's probably going to be going on. Uh, also looking at doing maybe some smaller stuff um, even before then, uh, keeping the community connected. We know there's still a hunger out there to gather. Uh, and uh, right now, though, uh, again, experimental mode, exploring, um, kind of asking some, some questions about, you know, what are the edges of what we cover? What else should we be talking about? What's interesting to us now? 
what are the realities of um, this, you know, ongoing pandemic situation? Uh, because uh, despite the uh, usage of the term, uh, this isn't endemic yet. It isn't just something in the background. Uh, it's completely disruptive of our way of life. Um, and it, while it might not be impacting your day-to-day, um, if you keep a look at what's going on in you know the healthcare sector, in education, uh, it's very disruptive. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, we just gotta, we've got to find a different way. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I feel no shame in not having the answer because, um, you know, the people who run the society don't have an answer. So why should I, uh, there you go. Um, all right. Uh, not to be too much of a downer. Um, but, uh, that's on that side. I, I will say, um, I'm going to be dusting off my Oculus. It sits right there, uh, and doing some world hopping soon. Uh, if you want to, uh, there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on actually over at the everything immersive, uh, website. So everything There's a new community, uh, page over there. Uh, the community, I guess is, that's what we, we, we call it internally. It's a new spotlight page, new spotlight there from, the VR chat world building community, uh, VR chat worlds. You can find it uh, listed on the front page of everything immersive.com right now. Uh, it is a, uh, curated list of, uh, different VR chat worlds, uh, coming right out of the creator community. So, uh, if you've gotten an Oculus recently and you want to do some deep diving and look around, uh, there is a, there's a way for you to explore right there. Um, and, uh, it launches best, uh, involving, uh, a PC. So that is, that is the one downside of that, but, um, I'm going to be poking around there myself and, uh, just, uh, might put together a little, uh, little list of things that I enjoy and, uh, be willing to do some tours with folks, uh, in the not too distant future. All right. On that note, uh, let's, uh, wrap this thing up. So as always need to give a big shout out to our Patreon backers, uh, everyone who's been, uh, keeping us going, uh, we're, we're very thankful that, uh, there, while there's turnover, uh, we haven't seen a complete collapse of support because, uh, if that were to happen, (laughs) this would be over. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, probably shouldn't have said that now anyway. Um, but of course, we have our sustaining backers, and they get a shout out on every show. And they are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mystery, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. Uh, you you literally keep me alive. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor of the No Persinium website. And this podcast is uh, my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, thank you for wearing the mask. <laughs>